Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. To start with, I couldn't believe that I could just go and have sex or date other people and I can tell my partner about it and she'll be fine. You know, I, so I was really holding myself from saying everything because it just felt wrong to just be open about it, even though she never gave me any indication that it is a problem, but it just my mindset was telling me, you know, that it's not okay. Welcome back to Open Late Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Spandiari, and today I have with me Roy Graff who is a relationship coach and therapist living in London and practicing solo polyamory and speaking about these things. So I recently found Roy on an Instagram live with Ro from unapologetically, unapologetically. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is perfect. So I just, you know, DM'd you and, and here we are. Welcome to the show. Here we are. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be here. So you've been in London for a long time, and I want to dive right into the stuff about non-monogamy. At what point in your life did you realize that this was how you felt and how you were going to identify? Well, I, um, I, I grew up in Israel, but I was born in London, um, and I've lived half my life, now more than half my life in the UK. Um, I also lived in the States for a few years. I lived in China, so I've been around. But yeah, I guess uh, I my formative years have spent, I've been spent in, <clears throat> in Israel. So I'm 52 now, and I guess it was about 11 years ago that I first learned about these terms, polyamory, non-monogamy, ethical, consensual non-monogamy. All that was very new to me when I first heard it well, 11 years ago, and it was something that uh, happened to hear from a date that I've been on and, and my date basically on the first date told me that, you know, she is non-monogamous um, and she doesn't want an exclusive relationship. And for me, that was quite a surprise, but also really interesting and curious um, concept, you know, and I, cause I didn't know before that, that it was something people do openly. I mean, everybody knows that people can be in monogamous relationships and cheat, you know, and, and have affairs. Um, there was a brief period earlier in my life um, when I was married and my ex-wife and now and I mm, kind of talked about having a don't ask, don't tell type of open relationship and tried that for a while. Uh, but it was a, you know, basically a, a last ditch kind of desperate attempt to rescue the relationship. Which so, always works so well. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so... <laughs> A few months of that, and, and then, yeah, the relationship ended, unfortunately. But, um, you know, and I, and I keep thinking if I knew that there was another way, maybe that would have made a difference. But I think uh, for me, one of the reasons I, I really connect to this practice is the authenticity of it, the integrity of it, the honesty of it. You know, um, those are all very important values to me. So once I understand that you can basically be open about everything, um, once I, once I understood that, I, I really, um, connected to it and very, very quickly, it felt like just a natural thing that I was just, am. you know, that I basically, this is just my core part of my being. 
And mm. while it was a, a bit of a struggle to unlearn a lot of the monogamous kind of mindsets and core beliefs that I've been carrying with me for so long, you know, for 40 plus years, um, once I did that work, um, I found a really happy um, balance of being true to myself and respecting others well and, you know, and, and communicating everything that I want to need and, and yeah. also holding other people's wants and needs as well so it was really I th yeah it was really a realization that this is who i am you know and it came a mm. few years after i first found out about it um i made loads of mistakes probably all the mistakes you can think of i made them because there wasn't really much of information yeah. um but a decade ago and there weren't any people that i could go turn to for help and I, there was nobody in my circle my kind of environment that i that i could go and ask advice about this my close friends yeah. who respect me and love me and, and accept me unconditionally couldn't really help with that, you know, because for them, if I had any kind of issues, it'll be obviously you have issues because you're trying to date multiple people, right? So that's why you have, you know, it's a problem. Well, that's why it's not working. And that wasn't helpful because I didn't want to go back to monogamy, right? Right. Yeah, that, that support is very one-dimensional and comes from a monogamous mindset. Um, yeah. It's it's hard. Uh, and they, they mean well, but yeah. Right. It's so meaning. Um there's so many places I want to go with this right away. And I, I think actually let's take this. When you first started to share this with friends, family, people who love and care about you, was there a lot of alarm from them? Was there kind of a pushback? Or was it generally like we don't get it, but do you? Yeah, or was it a mix? Um, of all of that? It was a mix. It was a mix. I would say that um, because for me, it came quite later in life, at a stage where I'm financially independent. Mm -hmm. I um, was living alone. I started this basically from a place of being single, and then connecting with somebody who was openly non-monogamous. You know, and then any any time after that, when I was dating, it would be already telling the person I'm going to date that I am polyamorous that I practice non-monogamy. So. Uh, I think that for me, there was less uh, worry about judgment, etc. Also, you know, I work quite independently. Um, I wasn't worried about it, you know, kind of affecting the workplace environment in any way. And my friends basically just are happy if I'm happy. Um, and the same with family generally. That's Not everybody understood it. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the answer might be, well, it, it's weird. It doesn't make sense. But if, if you're happy and nobody's getting hurt, fine. <laughs> You know. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And not everybody has that kind of the situation that you were in and that luxury to be able to really own who they are and be themselves, especially I think younger people who are trying these things out, maybe still even living at home with their parents and their teens. Um, so it's great to hear the possibilities and that for you, there probably was a decent amount of acceptance right away. And you also have didn't have to share it widely until you were ready. Um, I get, do you have children? I have a child. Yeah. Okay. How did you have these openings with them? And they know that you're open, non-monogamous. Yes. Sharing with it was fine. Uh, and ultimately, I think in, in, in the case of my child and also other children, like they're not necessarily wanting to know much information about their parents love life and relationships is just not something that interests them, you know? So I also 
uh, accepted that it's not something I necessarily need to involve her, you know? Right. I get that question a lot. So that's why I asked you, I don't have children yet, but I've been very public about wanting to start a family this year. And of course, like that's everyone's first question. They're like, well, what are you going to do? You know, as if like my not ch- child that's not even here yet, all of a sudden will be able to ask me questions about my relationship. And it's, it's almost like really great to hear your kids don't really care that much about your love life. Uh, not much. Um, I think what they care about is whether you're, you're present in their life, whether you're um, paying attention to them and their needs. Ultimately, it also makes a big difference if the child is born into a situation that they just accept as normal because this is all they know. You know, if you have a child while you're already practicing mm-hmm. non-monogamy in whatever way, and they just grow up meeting their their mother's boyfriend and their dad's girlfriend or whatever it is, it's it's just normal. Um, they don't have anything to necessarily compare it to. They haven't yet been influenced yeah. by society and by uh, the dominant culture. I think it's different when, um, let's say, they're teenagers or later in life where they're very much impacted by um, the public mood, by their peer group, right? So there's going to be uh, much more input and and and, uh, and exposure that might make them feel a little bit awkward about it or, or maybe even have strong feelings. But I think if you're going to have children yeah. that, you're, that basically are born into a situation, they'll just, they'll just accept it. They just don't know any difference. And there's no no studies. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the studies on yeah. this generally have 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 um, basically clearly demonstrated that children in non-monogamous relationships are no less you know happy, fulfilled, healthy, etc. than in monogamous relationships. Doesn't make a difference. Yeah, and in fact, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious to see. Look, as we come more online, right? With these types of relationships that, you know, it's not like they just started. Things have just more or less been underground for a long time and kind of taboo and secretive. But the more people practicing this openly and publicly to see if there's even a difference with having like more, potentially like more adults that are emotionally intelligent in their life and kind of available to them rather than the like single parent or two parent household, um, which generally feels like under resourced from my point of view. Um, so yeah, I I wanted to ask: Did you continue to date the woman who first introduced you to non monogamy? Uh, we did it for about a year. It was an open relationship. We did also see other people. I tended to have more casual connections with other people at the time. Uh, at some point, she had another partner as well, um, and yeah, but it didn't it didn't um, continue in the same format. So at some point, um, we stopped being a couple. We stayed friends, um, and eventually, I think she she was like changing her focus of what she wanted uh, to be more maybe again more focused on a single uh, primary relationship and. I think that I was veering already towards more of a non non hierarchical kind of polyamory or uh, parallel polyamory rather than having like one primary partner. So I think our values were kind of separating or diverging, mm. um, but it didn't you know end badly. Just uh, right. we weren't like looking at what we weren't still wanting the same thing. And 
But I got a, I, I also got a, a good friend out of it because her other partner and I became good friends, and we still we still are friends. So that was fun. That's amazing. Love a good metamore connection. Mm. Um, so I'd love to know what it was like for you because you know you said earlier it took maybe a few years for you to unpack all the the monogamous culture and learning that you've been subscribed to for 40 years. What was that? And maybe if you can share with us one of the biggest ideas that, or one of the biggest truths, right. That you had in your life that then had to be dismantled in your journey to fully realizing, Oh, this is who I am. Um, you know, those, those early edgy years, what, what was that like? Wow. There's a lot to unpack here, I guess. Um, so I think to start with, I couldn't believe that I could just go and have sex or date other people and I can tell my partner about it and she'll be fine. You know, I, so I was really holding myself from saying everything because it just felt wrong to just be open about it, even though she never gave me any indication that it is a problem, but it just, my mindset was telling me, you know, that it's not okay. Yeah. You're like, is this, a, is this a trap? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So I had to kind of get comfortable with that. And I think later on, what what came up quite quickly in polyamorous relationships is that when I was doing monogamy, I was often in unhealthy or toxic or at least um, not very well communicative relationships. And they seemed to work for a while until they didn't. And I was basically just, you know, in often in long-term relationships one after the other. And I would frequently not necessarily know what I wanted. I was just basically be there to to want to fulfill and meet the needs of my partner and fulfill their expectations you know and i had maybe like a savior complex like a white knight complex so wanting to save them to rescue them to help fix them etc all of that went into the initial kind of infatuation and the kind of deliverance stage and and then after a while i realized actually i can't do that i can't really help them it's not my job but um i, I felt kind of stuck in that role so what for me, it became a, a very evident is that I need to do a lot of work initially to understand who I am, what I want, and why am I in the relationship? You know, like exactly like not, I'm not, how should I say it? Um, now, when I, when I choose to be in a relationship, it's because the person I meet, the person I see, uh, she's someone I really want to connect with authentically, you know, because of who she is, not because of what she can give me or fulfill for me or because what I can necessarily, you know, do for her it's just because we are both people that want to connect and it's um i don't know if it makes sense the way i explain it but it's for me quite a fundamental shift in motivation it makes a lot of sense yeah it sounds like a lot of moving from you know uh, a a codependency mindset where it's like how are we going to be together in monogamy a lot of times and that's like where you're already orienting your mind to, like, how can I be your savior, right? And like, what are your needs that I'm going to fill? And you shifted to like a me-centric place before you were engaging anyone. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, I actually really resonate with that because, you know, based on my childhood, the way like I related to my parents and the adults around me, I was always just concerned with everyone else's feelings. And how I can like manage and control them. <laughs> and 
yeah, it wasn't until my non-monogamous relationship with my husband that I was like, what do I actually want for the first time ever? You know, almost 30 being like, I have no idea what I want. I don't even know what I'm interested in. Oh, this is a trauma bond <laughs> with my husband. Um, but yeah, so what you what you shared is I understand it very well. And I think everyone listening, you know, can either identify, relate, or is probably thinking of the ways now that they've started to unpack or the things that they've realized. So, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a tourism. Um, it's a tourism for, for, especially for couples that want to transition, say from monogamy to an open relationship of any kind or to polyamorous relationship that um, without a serious, hard, vulnerable, honest look at all the areas in which you kind of are codependent and have built this codependency with each other without really unpacking that you can't jump over into a different alternative relationship uh, dynamic. It doesn't work. Yeah. So it's an, it's a necessary step on the process and the, and the sooner mm. and the more complete you can do that, the easier it will be later. Yeah. I always, I love that. That's like a quote for this episode without unpacking the codependency, like you can't go anywhere. Everyone's first question, you know, just like very quick, high level is like, how do you deal with jealousy? And it's like, oh, it's like, it goes so much deeper than that. And um, that's, that's what it is, really. It's like, jealousy is really just trying to sort of manage and control each other's feelings and my feelings. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I would say that I, prob I probably wasn't a very jealous person to begin with. So it's quite easy for me to accept that my partner will have sex with other people or will have, you know, feelings for other people. Even in monogamy, I don't know if that bothered me so much more than what would bother me would be the hiding aspect or kind of concealing aspect. But, you know, um, I don't think like when I would see somebody flirting with my partner when I was monogamous, I just got it was like flattered. You know, it was a flattering thing mm -hmm. that somebody is uh, interested in a partner that actually is with me, you know? So, um, but I do experience it to, to a degree and I definitely have worked with a lot of people who um, feel jealous sometimes to extreme levels. And yeah, it all kind of ties into the, to how much work you've done to understand the codependency you have with your partner and how much of your feeling of safety and security you hang on them. Right. Mm. The more you do that, the more fear you will have that somebody else will take that from you. Jealousy really is a um, a reaction to you know to the insecurity, a reaction to the fear of being left alone, of being abandoned, of loss, etc., of not being good enough. It's 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 a fear based response. But you know when we are secure in ourselves, when we are have the confidence and the trust that we are that our partner is with us because they want to be with us, not because we're giving them something that somebody else might be able to give them. You know, that's not why, why they're with us. Therefore, if they do get th something else from another person, it's no longer a threat because we're not hanging our security on the fact that this is the reason they're with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's such a different way of thinking than monogamy in the way of like that would feel threatening um, and not to say that everyone in a monogamous relationship hasn't done the work on themselves, because I know many people that consciously choose their monogamy and have done this sort of dismantling of the programming. But it's so interesting to see the, 
the questions and the fear that arises, it's almost like in our brains, we don't have those same, if you've been practicing like long enough pathways anymore. So sometimes I get questions that, you know, I, it's hard for me to respond to still because I'm like, my brain doesn't compute the way that your brain does. And so I think it's, it's really cool and interesting to have, there's a lot of, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on practicing solo poly and also having, you know, the background of being like a mental health professional, I'm starting to see a lot of people who are practicing polyamory, but dating a monogamous person and people are, you know, going down this road. And I have a few of them in our, in our WhatsApp chat, open talks where we kind of just have open discussions about this sort of thing. And so I wanted to ask your opinion. Do you feel like that dynamic can be a healthy dynamic, can have success in whatever measure of success people have for themselves in their relationships? Or, because I get this question, or is it doomed? Like I had somebody ask me that the other day. Is this relationship doomed? I'm monogamous. I'm open. I'm in love. I want to learn. And I can tell her what I think. I think if she does the work and hangs in there and is willing to go there, it's possible. But you've got the degree. So do you see that this is possible? And have you worked with couples that have had success? Um, so just to correct, I don't have the degree yet. I'm as a therapist, I'm in supervision. So I will have the degree this year or soon. I'm currently writing we'll my thesis just to finish that. So, we'll celebrate when, it, when you have it. Yeah. I um I made a, a very big career change in in uh, during COVID times because I was in a very very different um, business sector. Oh, what did um, you do before? Anyway, I was in tourism marketing. Very very different. Yeah, so I got quite quite head and you know quite senior in a in a in a tourism marketing role, and um I then had to question my whole life <laughs> um, during COVID and decided I wanted to do something different. Um, this is this it's not that different it's just like exploring new <laughs> possibilities cultures novelty it's all the same it just, i do a lot of, i do a lot of it more like one-to-one or one-two part you know to, to people in relationship to partners and um i feel that i you know the way i can have impact and, and work and help people is a lot more direct and i i'm really enjoying that um as for your question is it doomed well yeah not necessarily I work quite a few with, with quite a few people who are in that position. Sometimes with the polyamorous person, sometimes with the monogamous person. Um, so I would say that if if both people are willing to um, do the self work, you know, from from their own side of basically having a lot of compassion and really working hard to understand their partner. And if there is a basic acceptance that what was will not be again, basically the relationship you had, the relationship you had as a as a monogamous, as a monogamous couple, is that's over. You're building a, a brand new dynamic when one person stays monogamous and the other person sees other people. So a lot of that, going back to codependency, a lot of that has to be examined in in, in detail. And the monogamous person will start, will need to also expand their own support network, their more, more own emotional support network to go beyond their partner. The thing about monogamy is not that there's anything wrong with it. It's a, it can be a great dynamic if, this, if it's suitable for you, if it's what suits you. 
but people have become again through culture through media through um um uh i guess like religion and culture have grown to expect that this one person will fulfill all their needs all the time and both in terms of the expectation of my partner doing that for me and the expectation on myself of having to be that for my partner. That's a lot of pressure and it can be very draining sometimes. And if my partner is now on a date with, a, with another person and I feel bad or low, I can't just call them and ask them to come and give me a hug, you know? So I need some platonic friends that I can go and cuddle with maybe. And I need some friends that I can go and talk to when I'm feeling low and, 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 and I need to try to process something. Um, so that's very important is to have a very independent life and to recognize each other as ind individual beings with our own separate wants and needs and desires. Yeah, beautiful. Very well put. Thank you. Um, it's helpful to, to hear it sort of affirmed back from multiple people, um, especially you're already working with, you know, you're already working with couples, as you said, and just, I think, seeing it play out in real life and able to offer people guidance and support is why I love doing the podcast. It does feel very fulfilling, as you said earlier, you know, with this major career shift. Um, I'd love to know, like, what things you are planning on doing since you're so new to me. And um, I know this is new for you as well. Like, as a coach, as a therapist, are you planning on creating workshops or, you know, going to write a book about your experiences as many people are starting to do a memoir of non-monogamy. What's the plan? Because I can tell education um, suits you. Well, uh, so I started with the Instagram account and that was really where all, all of it started. It's just putting out content, putting out information about relationships, about communication, um, about conflict resolution and about basically having healthy boundaries in relationships. And this is all stuff that I basically accumulated from my own experience of also being in toxic, pretty bad relationships and then being in very, very good ones. And um, I also went to do a lot of training around uh, radical honesty and psychotherapy and nonviolent communication and wheel of, wheel of consent. Um, and basically, yes, I think that for me, education is an important component. Um, during COVID, when people were online all the time, I actually was offering uh, courses. So a course in expansive relationships and how to get to the point where you can have these open um, and, and, and expansive relationships, no matter what the dynamic is. It's just about, again, accepting that we can do different things and we don't have to abide by the, um, the standard relationship escalator model. So it was, uh, I offered these like four week courses, um, but they were, they were live. I'm considering potentially in the future recording it for, for download, you know, so people can, can do it on their own time, but it's more about just time management really. So at the moment I'm writing my thesis, which is about polyamory, uh, and psychotherapy. And out of that, I hope will also come a book. That oh. is my intention. So um yeah that's um I'm, that's basically a work in progress right now can you amazing can you share a bit more with us about your thesis well my curiosity especially because for me it felt like when i realized that polyamory works for me i also 
understood that I have been polyamorous all my life. It's just part of who I am. And there was just no way for me to, to know that, you know, no, no, nobody showed me or gave me an indication that that's a possibility. So um, it made me think a lot about whether polyamory or monoamory to, for, that, for that extent is, is or can be classified as an orientation, as part of who you are, as an identity, in much the same way as being straight or gay or bi, you know? Um, and... Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. In the way that I feel it, the way that a lot of people that I interviewed and surveyed for my research um, feel it, the answer is resoundingly yes. It's not something that certainly is easy to prove because, again, people also grow up with various experiences as a child, with different role models, with traumas, uh, different attachment styles. But I think that consistently, uh, even if you account and you account for all of those variables, the fact that people describe it as when they're polyamorous, they just feel the most authentic. You know, they feel the most at home with themselves once they can, can actively um, practice it without having to hide it. And, and when I say overwhelmingly, I surveyed about 850 people and it's like 96% said that they feel like it's an orientation. So for me, the book is not just, uh, or the thesis is to look at that, but also to understand why still today, many therapists and uh, mental health professionals are looking for, to pathologize somebody when they come in and say, I'm open or I want to be polyamorous. They're looking for reasons why it's a pathology, why it's a, a trauma response or um, basically a way to avoid commitment uh, or you know, an avoidance attachment kind of uh, uh, style. So there's so much of that kind of judgment and pathologizing happening still within the mainstream um, mental health community. And I think a lot of it is down to personal uh, beliefs, um, lack of information. So basically just not being aware of available information now. And, um, and this idea that basically, well, monogamy is what we have and it works. So why mess with it kind of thing? So first I'm showing that, yeah, monogamy doesn't really work. By design, it definitely doesn't. Um, yeah. And like you said, if, it, if it's suitable, it can. But this one size fits all, you know, the one uh, happily ever after is, is really quite an illusion. I would say happily ever after is fine, but it can mean happily ever after by yourself being single. It can be happily ever after with multiple partners. 
Uh, it can be happily ever after with non-sexual, asexual, platonic partners. You know, yeah. The Disney version of happily ever after is often not attainable. Um, romance with one partner that's hot and heavy, you know, until, 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 until. Um, where I have so many questions still. I would love to know what other interesting things you found in your surveys for your thesis. Um, if there's anything to note, I do just want to comment before we move there that I love that there are more people who are writing about this. Um, I live in Los Angeles. So it, to me, it feels like a bubble of, you know, you can't really mm. go to the grocery store without overhearing a conversation that includes non monogamy. So I have friends that have written books and that have, you know, this was their thesis and, or, you know, what they've studied as well. And so it feels a little saturated here in my little bubble. Um, mm. But I imagine that we need a ton more of this happening in order to break the mold of this mononormativity or this monogamy is the, the one true thing that works and everything else is a pathology or, or everything else is missing the mark or wrong. And you're not going to be fulfilled or happy or a whole person without this. Um, and I think many of us know that that's not the case anymore. E even people that aren't, you know, identifying as polyamorous, feeling polyamorous, being polyamorous, and they're still in their monogamous relationships or in some other dynamic, I think are starting to open to the fact that, oh, okay, this is a spectrum and there's a lot of acceptance, but we do have a long way to go. Um, yeah. So what other cool things did you find? Well, uh, just to go back to this point about the saturation, I mean, yeah, the more, there are more books and articles and videos, and that's great because we need more representation. We need more diverse representation. You know, the, the media generally, when it does pick up a story about polyamory, it inev inevitably tends to be uh, white, tends to be very middle class, tends to be about uh, often triads. Um, and the most of those triads tend to be like two women and one man, you know, and um so it's kind of boring and also not really representative of what's going on you know the vast majority of people who practice polyamory do it in parallel they're not like in a group dynamic they basically it's just a series of different dyadic you know kind of couple relationships that um coincide with each other in different ways now um in terms of my research i you know, I, I'm really in the thick of it right now. Uh, some of the stuff that came out that I was really curious about and wanted to ask questions about may not necessarily fit into my thesis, but maybe later in the book it will. Uh, one thing that I think that was really interesting is the correlation between people who identify as neurodivergent or neurodiverse and who also say they're polyamorous, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it is like something like between a ha uh, basically over half up to 75%, depending on kind of the way they... Um, uh, identify themselves because a lot of people feel that they are neurodiverse, even though they haven't had an official diagnosis. Right. So, in any case, it's a it's a it's a huge um, number in terms of the correlation, the percentage, and I think that's worth further further investigation for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I have some theories around it. Um, definitely in my in my circle and the people that I've dated and my friends. Uh, yes, there's so many of them. Um, are new diverse that it's become like a running joke, really. So, yeah. yeah. 
and it's I think that's I think it makes a lot of sense for a few reasons. Uh, firstly, that people who grow up feeling that they're different from their family and from the environment are going to uh, develop a certain adaptation to being different in the world, and yeah. um, also to be asking a lot of questions about things. You know, they're not just going to take take the social rules as given; they're going to question uh, them if they don't make sense. And it's kind of, I guess, logical to me that they would do the same with relationships and with monogamy. Mm -hmm. And um, and then there's other, you know, potential explanations. Uh, for example, uh, people with ADHD are looking for, you know, um, the way they react to dopamine is very different. So um, you can see that with, you know, falling in love multiple times and having this new relationship energy can... Um, can offer that. Uh, and uh, there's a lot more openness and acceptance in the community as well. So people feel very welcomed and accepted for who they are. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so again, this is like, I don't have the answers here. I just realized that there is a connection and I would love to do more research about it in the future. I'm excited to see what you do because I, I love hearing about it and it makes so much sense to me. Um, similarly, and you can see it even in the the people that I've interviewed for Open Late and the amazing guests that I've had and experts um, who do identify as neurodivergent and who are full on like you just you meet them and you're like yeah you are you are polyamory embodied mm. you know there's um, I don't know if you I'm sure you do Jessica from Remodeled Love the Day Lovers um, I've had her on the show and um, also Polyphilia yeah, Lian Yao. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it is amazing to see it in some ways. I feel almost like, you know, the society that we're living in is so slow to catch up to things that I, I believe that these people are so far advanced and hopefully like this is their molding culture so that we can catch up because it's almost like, you know, I, I view it as almost like a superpower in a way, the way that, you know, their brains work and my husband is diagnosed with ADHD and I've often just felt like this lifestyle, well, it's not even a lifestyle anymore. It's, you know, the, it's who we are, but in the beginning, because we sort of did the, okay, like monogamish and open and parties and, you know, light, like swapping. And then now into like, oh, the, we're polyamorous. This is like, who we are as people. This is how we live our lives. It's not some separate other thing we do. But what I found that I feel like really suits him and maybe me, if sometimes I feel like I am, but undiagnosed ADHD is like being able to have that newness in a really healthy way that doesn't feel shameful and also have safety and security. So you're having like the balances of all the human needs met. And you can do that inside a monogamous container if you understand your needs and your wants and desires and are clear on them. But this is obviously a cheat code to that. And I would say this is like, you know, we've really figured it out because it provides so much of the things that I think make us happy, healthy, and whole, you know, as, as people. Um, one of the saddest things I, I, find is the idea that you'll only have that NRE one time. Some people will have it one time in their lives and never have it again when it's like truly the most spicy, exciting thing, you know, and it, it's a, it's a little 
overwhelming and unsustainable and erratic and irrational, but it's amazing. Um, and if you understand that and know that, okay, this is Eros love, and this is like this type of love, and there's all these other types of love that I get to like have and cultivate and attract in my life, um, you can really work with it and have it in a healthy way. Yeah, and I think that there's also um, what often maybe gets overlooked is that when you have an established relationship and you then maybe start you know, creating or developing other relationships that might be more exciting in the moment, oftentimes, um, this is something I've experienced as well, like the way that I am with my established partner and the way that they kind of accept me and love me, even while I'm you know, maybe getting excited about another partner, also helped me appreciate them a lot more and see a lot more value in, in this established dynamic. And mm. um, I think people can also look back at it and think, well, if I, if I didn't have this safety and security with my partner, would I even dare to go out and, and date strangers and fall in love all over again and be vulnerable? You know, it just gives you this stability as well. So I think there's a lot of beautiful things about to establish relationship. And another thing is that jealousy, while if it's expressed in a toxic way, it's not, it's not great, but the feeling itself is quite natural. You know, it's something that in a way, you know, probably is an adaptive uh, evolutionary uh, emotion and in, in caveman times had a purpose, right. Of maintaining the, the kind of the family structure and, 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 and ensuring the relationship lasts longer, etc. And some of that, can be used in a, in a positive way. You know, if I see my partner uh, making out with another person and I feel a bit of it, you know, but like, oh, it, it's, you know, this kind of pang. I was like, ah, okay, this means I really care about her. And I also want to like have this experience with her, right? And, and I can turn that into beautiful kind of passion and energy, passion energy as well. So yes. I don't have to think that jealousy is a bad thing necessarily. Yes. I love that you touched on this. This is something that... Um... You know, we don't often get to talk about on the show, or at least I feel like I haven't talked about a lot. And I think that there is value to jealousy. And, you know, I go as far as a lot of times when people say, how do, how do I overcome it? Like, how do I get rid of it? And I'm like, well, that's not the goal. It's to like feel the emotion and understand it. But I don't often get to that place where we're like, actually, jealousy can be a good thing. Jealousy is the reason that like, I feel like I don't, similar to you, I haven't experienced a lot of jealousy in my life, even in my monogamous relationships. Um, for me, it was always like a feeling like I can't control something and that would activate me. Um, maybe some mild feelings of insecurity, self-esteem, but never an envy. But the way that I do get activated when I see like, you know, uh, displays of affection, similar to what you're saying, like it makes me want to, reminds me to date my husband and to put the yeah. effort in for him because he also deserves that. And by the reason that like I take care of myself, you know, and I'm like care about the health of my body and like the way that it looks and not that I'm obsessed with it, but I think that these are really healthy things to carry into your later years because at the end of the day, we're choosing to be with each other every day. And the moment that we, you know, don't find as much value in our relationship and our growth and our container, you know, then we maybe would spend time with other people. Um, you know, we're about to bring kids into the world. So <laughs> we'll reassess this in 20 years. But, um, you know, right now we're really committed to this primary partnership. 
and I'm kind of making a joke. I mean, we're, we're committed life partners, but for everyone listening, this might not be your dynamic, right? This, you know, kind of thing that you see a lot, like you said, this is what you see in media, you know, we're a primary partnership, we're married white. Well, I'm white. My husband's, you know, he's born in Iran, but this is what you see. And so I want to make sure I'm including everybody listening, whatever your dynamic is, the, to take it back to the jealousy thing or any uncomfortable emotion that you're feeling, examine it and be curious. What is this trying to show me and how can I pull out of this emotion? First of all, feel it, process it, but what can I do with it? How can I work with it now? What is it going to fuel? Passion, energy, excitement, motivation. <laughs> um, and that's the best way to be whole because wholeness isn't only feeling good all the time. No, it's not. And uh, it's really important that people start also getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. You know, like being okay with the discomfort is an important aspect of human human uh, existence. And something that we as a society are trying to, you yeah. know, basically we're being marketed to uh, lots of diversions and distractions from just sitting with our feelings. And, and understanding that it's okay sometimes mm-hmm. to feel bad or sad or, or, or lonely or jealous or whatever it is. Um, we're just being sold and marketed things that will distract us from, from it. And that's not, that's not helpful. Yeah. We need to know, we need to have the tools ourselves to, to process and sit with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, well, this has been lovely. Um, I say lovely because I feel like it's a very British word. No, just kidding. Um, so before we wrap it up here, we we didn't talk a whole lot about the polyamory. Um, as someone who's practicing, what are the basics that you would share with someone who's thinking, okay, I might actually be solo polyamorous. Like I'm not coupled right now. This feels like how I'm identifying, you know, as you said, you knew pretty early on that like a hierarchical relationship wasn't for you. Um, I'll let you take the reins here. Okay. So one thing that I uh, would say is that for anybody who feels that they have uh, an insecure attachment style when they really struggle with commitment, uh, whether they're very anxious, overly anxious, or overly avoidant, practicing solo polyamory um, can be a way of actually developing a sense of security uh, in yourself and building secure connections with partners. Because um, you have to basically accept that you're often going to be like alone and you have a primary relationship with yourself and that your partners aren't always available for you. So the kind of anxious attachment stuff, you know, needs to, will be, you know, you will take a much closer look at it and have to basically manage it yourself. And then also you actively need to be building committed relationships with multiple people, which for an avoidant person is very hard. <laughs> so again, it takes a lot of intentionality to be present for your partners uh, when you're not living together, when you don't have the traditional escalation into some kind of like creating a family unit or anything like that, where it's not about the escalator. It's about basically only about what you and your partner are creating together, very unique to that relationship. So it, it, it's just, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a great way to learn about yourself and to understand exactly what your needs are and where your boundaries are. And if you do that, then you can come into any new relationship 
with a very clear communication of here are my boundaries, here's what I can do, what I can't do, here's how often I can be in connection, um, this is how often we can meet up, this is maybe how often um, I'm, I'm happy uh, texting or having calls. And when, when, when somebody shares that with me and then I actively ask about that, then we also have very realistic expectations of how, you know, of what we will do in this relationship. And we won't build some kind of fantasy around just because we like this person. I think that learning, for me, learning that um, I can fall in love with a person, I can be really excited about them, doesn't mean I have to see them every day. And often NRE lasts for longer when I see them once a week or once every couple of weeks or whatever it is. Um, and I still get a sense that we are in a relationship, even if we don't like try to aim towards living together or um, enmeshing our lives. So. Yeah, so I think uh, if you're somebody who, want, who is already quite independent or maybe wants to work on that, then it can be either your, the, way you, uh, um, the way you are, and, and, and that will be kind of basically the way you practice being in love relationships, or it can be a phase that will just teach you a lot about yourself and about how you co connect with others. Yeah, interesting. I'm curious, have you always sort of gravitated towards solo poly from the beginning of your journey and feel like this is a place you'll stay? Or do you have desires ever to have a primary or nesting partner again in the future? So when I started, I was, again, very much influenced by the monogamous kind of mononormative culture. So for me, having a primary partner just made the most sense because this is just what I was used to, right? And it was already weird enough to like have these other people I'm dating and everything, but I wanted to, I guess I felt more safe in having the same structure that's familiar to me. And I was also in a primary polyamorous relationship where we were living together for three and a half years. And what I learned from that is that if we don't communicate exactly what our boundaries are and what our values are, if we just think that it's going to work out because we love each other or because we have some areas where we're compatible, then it won't work out. Like you have to, uh, with polyamory, if you're going to live together, there has to be um, a very detailed level of, of communication around all aspects of the relationship and relationships with others. You know, it's, and uh, we didn't do it because we, did, we weren't aware of it. And ultimately, out of that relationship, I first of all decided that for me, what's important, uh, and that was about five years ago when that ended. So, I really wanted a period where I will live alone and have total control and freedom over who I see, when I see them, how I see them. And at the time, I didn't identify as solo polyamorous. I was just polyamorous and coming out of a, a painful uh, primary relationship that wasn't very conscious, I felt, and wanted to do things differently. And also took myself to therapy with a polyamory affirming therapist. And yeah, approached any new connection I had with this mindset of like, I want my independence and freedom. If you love me for my freedom and, 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 you, love, and you want this freedom for me, I would be happy and I would basically pour that happiness into our relationship. If I feel like I'm, I'm being kind of controlled, manipulated, restricted in any way, um, I will basically feel like I'm in a cage, which is how I, I felt in monogamy for many years. Uh, I just at the time when I was monogamous, I didn't realize that's why, you know, I just felt it and didn't know why. So now I know, now I have this awareness and, um, whether I have a desire, I don't have a desire for being in a primary relationship. I, I do feel like it could be 
beautiful with the right people to live together, maybe with one or more partners and their partners uh, in a large barn or like, you know, kind of a big house outside of London somewhere. Oh, you're speaking my language, Roy. (laughs) You're speaking my language. Again, the important thing is that everybody have their own room, their own space, uh, and their own independence and autonomy and agency. Like that would be really important. Yeah. Amazing. I think this is such a perfect place to put a period on this for now. I would love to have you back. I think we have a lot more that we can chat about and share. And I, I have a lot more questions still. So we'll do that. We'll put that on the books. In the meantime, how can people find you and work with you? So I'm on Instagram at openrelating. And my website where people can also book uh, appointments with me is openrelating.love. And um, yeah, and if people want to know more about solo polyamory, I am I do have an upcoming talk with Ro from Unapologetically at the end of this month, which will also be recorded and and um, and put online as well, so people can can order that or come later and watch it. Yes, we will definitely link link that in the show notes for people to um, sign up or go and view. And I really look forward to having you back. Thank you so much, Roy. Lovely chatting with you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.